Hello, everyone, and welcome to I4CP's Next Practices Weekly podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Tom Stone, a senior research analyst at I4CP, the Institute for Corporate Productivity, the leading authority on next practices in human capital. The Next Practices Weekly podcast is one of the ways we share those practices with you by interviewing top HR leaders and facilitating discussion with the broader HR community on what high-performance organizations are doing differently with their people practices. From HR strategy to talent acquisition, learning and development, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and much more. In June of 2022, my colleagues Mark Walker and Lori Likens hosted a conversation with Danielle Monahan, VP of Global Talent Acquisition at Google Cloud. They had a wide-ranging discussion on talent acquisition in the tech sector, what challenges are most daunting, differences between the United States and other regions, and what's ahead for talent acquisition. Here now is that discussion with Danielle Monahan. Before we get rolling, I, I just wanna share a little bit about Danielle's background. She's a bit of a luminary in the talent acquisition, talent acquisition space. Um, she's been a global TA leader for 20-ish years. Um, I view Danielle is really the quintessential global executive, global citizen. She's lived and worked on three continents, um, including Asia, Africa, and the Americas, primarily North America. Um, but here's some, some key highlights from Danielle's career. Um, she led the HR function for Cisco um, North Asia, so that was covering greater China, Japan, and Korea, and Cisco Technology Services in San Jose. Um, she also led the HR and TA TA functions for Microsoft R&D in greater China and Taiwan, um, as well as leading various TA functions, including executive recruiting for Microsoft in Redmond, Washington, um, not far down the road from I4CP's Seattle home base. Um, in her role as Senior Director of Global Staffing and Diversity at Microsoft's Entertainment and Devices Division, she oversaw hiring for the US, Canada, the UK, China, and France. And then prior to joining Google Cloud, she led global talent acquisition at Uber during a historic time through the entirety of the pandemic. And um, Danielle, you should write a book one of these days, seriously, seriously. But I just admire you so much for being a woman in tech, being just an innovative leader in tech. Most of all, your commitment your very real commitment that you back up with action to developing other talent acquisition professionals. So hats off to you, but welcome Danielle. Thank you. <laughs> that was quite the, the introduction. Well, you're very humble. So we, we need to toot your horn for you. So, you know, one of the things that I know we wanted to talk about a little bit today is about talent acquisition in the tech space what's unique to the tech world, um, what challenges in terms of recruiting in tech are kind of unique, um, and what's most daunting right now for TA in tech? Um, now, that's a great question. So just to give context, I actually have never not worked in tech. I started in tech in the 80s, um, right when the very, very first desktop computer came out back in the IBM PC days, so eons ago. Um, and I've always been in tech, so, so th this possibly shows my bias as well. 
But um, what I think is unique in tech is um, engineering is king. That is what drives all of your hiring. It's what drives the business. It is always priority number one and P0. And then followed um, by sales. And the, the tech companies really only learned later on that they do need sales teams and they do need customer support teams. Um, but engineering is always king. Very competitive environment, very, very competitive environment. And then it's a unique environment in the sense, or it was unique, it might not be so unique anymore, but um, compensation is very much RSU-based, so stock-based. And so compensation, you know, it just swings widely when you're in a bull market versus a bear market, and then everybody scrambles and, and, and uh, looks at companies where the stock, there's a run-up, and you know, how do you get in? How do you get in pre-IPO? So very fast-paced, very go-go-go, hustle, fast-moving environment. Um, global candidate pools, you know, tech companies have uh, gone global to, to look for talent to bring to the U.S., but of course also um, hiring globally, and everything is done at the speed of now. Everything is done at the speed of, of now. Um, and then last but not least, and this is probably speaks a little bit to some of the challenges, so we're all competing for the same engineering and sales talent pools, right. everybody. Um, but I think for us in the larger tech firms, we're also competing heavily with the new, exciting, cutting edge startups. And a lot of our talent, the folks that we go after that know how to build and know how to scale and are innovators and risk takers are people that have made their money in their careers. So they're not looking for a job because of the money. They are looking for the next bill, the next challenge. What can they maybe IPO? How can they change the world? And so we're competing a lot with startups. So those are some of the, the challenges that, that we see um, in, in recruiting in, in tech. I love the thought process that almost identifies the personas uh, from an engineering standpoint that are about the next challenge. Uh, it's a, a different way of thinking about that um, base of attraction uh, per se. So Danielle, I'd love maybe you could take a step uh, to the side of this and say, how are you organized from a TA structure standpoint? And if it's helpful to dive into kind of the, maybe the engineering approach, because I imagine you have recruiters, sourcers, something. Can you give us a high level description of that? Yeah, yeah. So at a high level, um, we are what we call PA aligned. So that's product area. And, it, and, and I would say that's probably, you could think of it as business unit aligned. And so I'm aligned to Google Cloud and everything everything enterprise, Google Cloud, and, and infrastructure that supports the rest of um, Google. But then we have our teams that support the consumer side, so ads and search and all of the other products that we offer there. We generally have um, a recruiter sourcer um, model 
but we do a lot of hybrid work. So we do work where we have full cycle recruiters and then we have work where we have saucer recruiter models. Um, we also have very vertical models where you know, you're client aligned or rec aligned, but then we have horizontal models where we do volume hiring. And, and an example of that might be um, early in career engineering hiring where you don't particularly need domain expertise. You need certain general technical skills um, and we can put you in any of the product areas and then you'll build domain expertise when you're there. And so we, we approach that with a vertical lens and that just helps us build really, really strong pipelines and relationships. And then we place talent to opportunities that are interesting to them. Yeah, so I, I see the almost segmentation by uh, talent groups uh, and volumes as a part of the strategy overall to make sure that you're building massive pools, well, I shouldn't say massive, but large pools on the front end to get early career. And then you can identify as you move them through the um, different roles where they fit best domain expertise and kind of run from there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as people become uh, more senior in their career, they have domain expertise. And so that's a slightly different approach. It's a more one-to-one -one approach reviewing um, their credentials. And we can say, gosh, yes, they've had the experience that we're looking for in the cloud business and we'll introduce them there immediately. So I imagine, Laurie, uh, that uh, this kind of rolls very well into with a team of that, uh, I guess, different makeup and structure uh, requires you to build some skill sets within TA. Right. I was, when Danielle was talking, I was just thinking about the conversation that we had with our talent acquisition board here at I4CP when we met in person in March. We spent a day in a room together. Um, and Danielle is a founding member of that board, by the way. We're very fortunate to have had her along for the entire ride. But focus of a lot of the conversation was about the priority of expanding talent acquisition capacity in everyone's organizations. Um, and it was really interesting to hear that some organizations have more open recs in their talent acquisition functions right now than they may have in engineering. TA was just run over during the pandemic and the turnover and burnout has just been exponential. So this is one of the things that I'm really eager to talk with Danielle about is, I mentioned earlier her, her dedication to expanding TA capacity um, she's created a series of talent acquisition academies, I think both at Amazon and Uber, um, to really do this in real time and to upskill and reskill and expand the capacity in those organizations through a talent acquisition academy. So can you tell us a little bit more about that, Danielle? It's a great story. Um, yes, I love to talk about the academy for a, for many many different reasons, um, but I do want to say it it wasn't just me. There was a team of people that did this both at Amazon and then came along and did this at um, at Uber as well. And um, I, I actually see there's some some of the talent acquisition academy folks on who lead the academy now for Uber on the. Uh, on the call today, so big shout out to you guys and the, the work that you do. 
Um, it is, it's a great program that goes and finds top, top global diverse talent with no talent acquisition background and brings them into a company, into full-time roles, three to four months of, of in-depth immersive training development. Um, there's classroom training. There's a lot of hands-on training. They actually source for events. So there's real, real-time um, recruiting and, and hiring. And then when they um, graduate from the academy, then we put them into teams within the company that they are interested in. Um, the, the talent that we found, it's incredible. We've, we've hired talent from uh, ex-NFL players, ex-athletes. Um, the military is, a, is a, just a great place to find top talent. We've had um, Navy SEALs. We've had chefs. It's, it's such a broad base of really interesting talent, but it's people that are go-getters. They love what they do. They're team players. Um, they're, they're really disciplined in how they work. They're good communicators. Um, so they, so, so in, in hiring for an academy, you know, you're, you're not looking at skills per se, because people haven't recruited before, but you look at competencies and potential um, and attitude, and then you teach the skills. And of course, there's nothing we really can't teach in, in recruiting. So what advice would you give to an organization that hasn't done anything like this, but is pondering maybe, maybe implementing some sort of academy or boot camp for TA? Any, any lessons learned or any, here's what you absolutely have to do, step one, step two, what advice would you give? Um, the biggest advice I would give is you have to take a long-term view. Um, the, the pushback we get from finance often and sometimes from HR leaders and sometimes even from our peers in an organization is, um, gosh, this is a huge investment. It's four months that they, maybe they're not productive. Um, what if it doesn't work out? Why don't we just go and hire experienced recruiters? Like, why this program? Um, so, so you you honestly have to be really convicted that that this is what you need for your company, and I'm convicted that companies do need to do this because I think it's a it's a wonderful way to introduce diverse talent into your organizations as well. And and if your organizations aren't diverse, how can you help build a diverse company? Right. Um, but you have to be convicted. You have to write your business case and you have to stay the course. The second thing is you cannot bring people in with a promise of this academy and then let them flounder. So, so your support system has to be solid both as they go through the academy and then as they graduate and then um, a few months beyond. Rock solid support system. Um, typically it's a cohort system. So, so you might have 12 to 18 people in a cohort. Uh, and we love that because the cohorts support themselves very well too. Right. Um, but, but do remember, it, you know, you're working with people that have never recruited before. And some people have never actually worked in 
corporate America before. And, and, and so you can't take for granted that people know how things work in corporate America, how to work with hiring managers, for example. You, you have to teach that. But it is, um, it's one of the best investments I think we, we have ever made. And I can't wait to start this program at Google as well. Oh, that's so that leads me to the next question. That is formally or informally, Danielle, have you kind of landed on here's the persona of the person who's a really great candidate for an academy? Um, do they have attributes in common or what are you looking for when you're looking to select people for the academy? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think a, a little bit, maybe I already talked about. Um, and, and, and typically it is, it's people that are very team or so, so they're very motivated, but they're not um, motivated just for themselves. So team orientation, and that's why athletes are really good because they want to win, but they, they're usually in teams or team players. Military is very good for similar reasons. So, you know, the team aspect, discipline, um, hustle, grit, uh, great communication skills, really curious, want to learn. I'm not afraid of making mistakes, uh, innovative. Um, I think these are, and, and, and people who, who do want to help others. You know, we, we laugh always in HR um, when people say to us, I'm in, you know, I want to go into HR because I want to help people. And we're like, well, that's not, <laughs> not really what we do always in HR. But I think just intrinsically motivated to, to introduce great people to great opportunities and, and feel good about that. Um, and, and, and folks that, that, have those skills or have that potential do very well in these academies and then moving into recruiting, whether it's sourcing or recruiting or program management. And eventually uh, many of our folks have gone on to lead teams. That's great. Well, I'm do looking see, forward to, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Mark. I was just gonna say, I'm looking forward to hearing how it goes at Google Cloud. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I'm fascinated, I think on the, the headline of more diverse recruiters on one side, and then do you find that that has been one of the levers for sourcing that gets people to uh, maybe connect with you know your teams more simply because they see themselves potentially? Is that a oh, part of your sourcing strategy? Hundred percent. Yeah, I think that's a an interesting piece of you know just the implication there. And for one clarification, are most of the folks uh, that are in the program they're current employees that then are shifted into these roles, or are they people that you've recruited from the outside? It's it's a mix. We've yeah. had um, typically it would be a mix of current employees and external employees, but we've had classes that are literally just externals coming in, but it is a mix. It's usually, we look at um, folks that are with a company that have never recruited. We look at our recruiting coordinator population, and then we look externally as well. Got it. Okay. So I know that we wanted to have a little bit of a discussion about work models. 
the dilemma of, you know, what is the most appropriate? What's the best? Is it remote? Is it hybrid? Is it getting everybody back into the office? So what in your estimation, Danielle, is really the most ideal model and what advice do you have for organizations that are really still very much wrestling with this question? Um, I don't know what the most ideal model is. And the way that I say that when, when people ask me, it's, it's really what is right for your company. And, and companies and cultures are different. But, but that being said, we know that we have changed forever the way that we will work. And this is not you, it's global forever. And, and companies and leaders really do need to understand that. Um, so what is right for you as a company? Um, you do have to think about your culture, the type of work that you're doing. Does the work have to be done in the office? Does it have to be done in the office every day? Um, but you also have to think about what do your employees want? So you, you have to listen to what your employees want. And um, you have to listen to what competitive candidates want. Um, Candidates, and, and, and I relive this in, in the tech world, they don't want to come into the office every day. They don't want to come into the office three days a week. They want flexibility. And so if you're not willing to do that, then there's a big pool of candidates that you will not be able to attract. And what I'm seeing is um, a lot of CEOs and exec leadership teams who have been in the industry for 30 plus years, and I think have lost touch with their frontline early in career and mid-career employees. And they're saying, you all have to come to work or else. Um, that to me is not the right approach. So I don't know what the right model is, but I know it's not that. Are you at Google Cloud, are you including in your job postings um, the work model? We're, we're including um, where you can work. And so our, our approach right now, but we're evolving. So we're continuously listening to what our employees are telling us uh, and involving the approach. But right now, the approach is that we have said it, it would, we want folks to come into an office two to three days a week. And um, an office depends on the organization that you work in. So for example, our recruiting teams, uh, we probably have 20 or 21 different offices across the US. And, and, and it's the same globally, it's the same um, philosophy globally. And so you could, you could be attached to any one of those. Um, and we said we want people in two to three days a week. You can also select a complete remote option. What I'm seeing is not that. So we're seeing people coming in maybe once a week um, and they come in and have lunch together and do things as a team. So they love that touch point, but they're not, I'm not seeing my teams excited about two to three days a week. And so I think we will evolve that too. And I'm not excited about it personally. So I'm also very flexible with, with how we work. And, and, you know, and I, I will add, I think recruiting, we have very measurable OKRs. We know what you have to deliver to be successful. So does it really matter 
where you are as long as you have great OKRs, which is your delivery numbers, your candidate satisfaction, team numbers, you know, our um, what we call Google Geist, which is where we do our employee sentiment surveys, et cetera. And then we have technology. We have really good technology to stay in touch and um, work together as teams. So, Mark, did you have something? No, go ahead. I, I was going to say, let's let's talk about global perspectives, specifically, you know, what is happening in the TA space in the U.S. and what are the similarities in terms of what's happening around the world? I know on occasion when we talk with other members of the Talent Acquisition Board, some of what we're seeing in the U.S. is not being experienced. Say in Eastern Europe, for example, we've gotten that feedback from Andrea at Mondelez that, you know, while we've been having some issues with talent shortages, you know, she has shared with us that we're kind of back to pre-pandemic numbers and we're not experiencing quite the same type of crisis that you are in the U.S. So I, I guess my question is, um, are large global organizations having the same challenges or are things just different in the EU because things are very different in the EU in terms of the employee value proposition and all of those variables? Um, so my experience at, at Google, and again, remember, I, I'm literally going into month three here. So right. this is a very early perspective. Um, it is very similar in, in all of the countries that we're in, and I'm talking more about Google Cloud because that's what I'm the closest to. It is, we are experiencing very, very similar talent challenges. Um, and, and where we are hiring sales and, and uh, engineering, very, very, very competitive. Our competitors are all there doing the same thing. We're all going after the same people. So, so um, yes, we're still experiencing challenges. I would say for us right now, uh, APAC, particularly India, is incredibly competitive. Um, we're in Bangalore, Hyderabad, and now Pune. Very competitive markets. Um, maybe a little less so in EMEA, but, but in EMEA, it's very competitive in, in sales. Uh, very competitive. So I think, yes, I would say I'm experiencing it pretty much uh, globally. Now, um, with the war in, in Ukraine, there are challenges for us. There are challenges in Poland and sort of challenges um, that, that we wouldn't see under normal circumstances, but that's, a, that's an anomaly uh, due, to, due to the war. So Howard, while it has a question, Howard, do you wanna come off mute and ask your question? Sure. Um, uh, it's nice to hear Danielle again. We're friends from going on many years ago. Danielle, I was, I was just curious if you've seen any differences for, for preference for work model from region to region. Yes. Yes. That's, that's a great question. Um, I was actually talking to our EMEA leader, and it looks like in EMEA, um, folks do want to come into the office a little more. Um, APAC depends. Um, 
and, and you know, I'm talking regionally, but we understand that the regions have 50 plus countries. So, so certainly by country and even my city, it might be a little different. But yes, um, Howard, I do see model preferences and I do see where people would prefer to be in the office more. I don't see anybody wanting to be in the office five days as a, as a general rule. If I could just add a comment to that, um, my organization is very heavily into Sub-Saharan Africa. And I would just mm -hmm. add that um, even still grappling with COVID in some countries, um, we have hybrid options, but a lot of our staff are opting to be in the office because access to the internet and um, access, honestly, in some places to air-conditioned offices is better than... Very that than many of their home situations. And so, you know, we, we're seeing that, that, the, that there's lots of other factors affecting the, the variation than just the, the nicety of being able to work from home and not commute. It's a very, very good point, um, Howard. It's a 100% it's a spot on. And, and in, in some um, countries and regions, uh, it is it is air conditioning. It is internet access. It is how many people live in a dwelling, and and privacy and having a place to work. So so that's a great call out. Thank you. Uh, you know, it, it raises I guess the question for me. You mentioned before, you know, obviously the OKRs and you're paying attention to a lot of data. Um, it, it, both candidate experience and Google Geist uh, as you know, pieces. Can you call out maybe, you know, some of the biggest things you are looking for, you know, in a, the first six months of a new employee to say, shoot, we're, we're on the right track. Are there things that you're seeing as an organization that elevate to the top? Um, yes, we, we have fairly disciplined onboarding plans and onboarding expectations. Um, and then how long we, we give folks to start ramping, but we look at their uh, pipeline. So we, we look closely. So, so for the first three months, we're not necessarily expecting a lot of hiring and sometimes in engineering and senior engineering roles, maybe not one or two, um, but we do look at pipeline metrics. So, so are they doing the outreaches? Are they doing the phone screens? Are they moving candidates through to um, hiring managers? So, so we look at both the what and the how, uh, and then we pay a lot of attention to how they're feeling. Are they integrating with team members? Are they reaching out to their manager? Um, do they have a buddy to help them onboard? Because remote onboarding isn't that easy. Um, and I know I'm doing remote onboarding to a large degree at, at Google as well. Um, so it's quite easy to become disengaged. And so you have to, you can't just look at the what, like the numbers. You also have to look at how people are feeling, how they're engaging. Um, do they get regular outreach? Are they doing regular one-on-ones with managers, et cetera? So we monitor that. Yeah, no, it's an interesting piece of just, 
you know, getting a feel for, especially with recruiters being so valuable to the business component yeah. of, you know, your labor plan, you know, you, you got to have them for, I'm sure, the growth of Google. And then, you know, how are we making sure that the, the recruiters that are building those pipelines, you know, are taken care of? It's a it's a, a, a big task. If I could shift gears for a second, is your team responsible for solely external or are they also um, responsible for internal movement? Both, external and internal. And do they, are the incentives and the tracking the same in terms of how that happens? And I guess I'm interested is if a role gets posted, is the recruiter own both the internal, external, um, or is it split? Yeah, can you shed yeah, a little no, more light on that? They own both. Um, so a, a, a rec can be opened in a few different ways. It can be open internal only, and same recruiter will own it. It can be external only. It can be internal, external, and the same recruiter will, will own it. Well, that's a great lead into this question from Mariana Mancini from Dow. Would you like to come off mute and ask your question? It's a great question. I was hoping internal talent market places. <laughs> would come up yeah i oh my dog is i don't know what's happening to him today sorry yeah so not, hi danielle uh i was curious to, to know if you if you have an internal marketplace and or you know a gig working culture like you know posting uh projects like gigs and having people um apply for them and if you do uh i was wondering if is this the, the recruiting team that that handles those types of types of movements yeah. So at Google, there is an internal marketplace that, but it's really just for FTE roles. At Uber, there was a gig marketplace. And I think I saw Rupesh. Rupesh, are you around? I don't know if you can, if you can come off. <laughs> you can talk about the gig yeah, marketplace. Yeah, Am I putting you on the spot here? You absolutely but, uh, are. Absolutely sorry. you are. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Um, that's all right. Um, so yeah, Danielle and I worked together at, uh, at Uber before she, um, she defected and went to, and went to Google. Yeah, I mean, this, this is a really big push for us at Uber. You know, I think many of us have the same challenge in the current landscape where there is this war for talent. Everyone's going after um, similar kind of profiles. We're all mowing the same lawn when it comes to our long lists and short lists. How can we be more intentional about identifying talent internally that may or may not have a direct match to the roles that they're applying for. Um, but it, knowing that there are some gaps to fill, how can we create uh, a culture where you get an opportunity to experience working in different parts of the business, albeit for short periods of time? It, it sometimes lends itself to, as an individual, developing your skills, but also from both sides, whether, I don't know, going into the compensation side was something that could have been a career aspiration, why not do a gig, um, work with that team for a period of time and really uncover whether this is something that um, you'd like to move into at some point. So um, we, you can apply as a hiring manager, I can post a gig for a, me a short, a medium or a long period of time. Um, it's not a, f if someone were to apply, they don't move into that gig full time. It's a percentage of their time during their work week. So they continue to operate 
in the role that they're in, but we carve out some time in order for them to um, work um, on the gig. And it's, and it's worked really well. It had a slow start, admittedly, because who has an additional few hours every week? So just that whole concept of uh, carving out some space with your existing manager in order for, to feel supported in your new role. But it's gathered pace, and we've got lots of people that are applying for gigs outside of their domain, um, outside of their core skills, and the feedback has been incredible. I think we will see this gather momentum um, over, over the next few months for sure. Rupesh, I have two follow-up questions. How do you define short, medium, and long? What are those time increments? And are you doing any metrics around retention, other types of movement among the people who are taking advantage of that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, short, medium, long, we have a defined period of time. Uh, you know, we talked about whether we should keep that open uh, to the hiring manager to determine how long I need somebody. But you know, the variations would have been endless. So um, I think we have sort of a six-week period, um, a two- or three-month period, and, and probably some, sometimes slightly longer than that. Um, it, it's all dependent on the project that we need someone to, to participate in. And, yeah, I mean, there's lots of research outside of Uber that um, suggests any encouragement or investment that you have for your employees to to do a rotation or uncover different parts of your business, it, you know, the stickiness is there. They feel a sense of loyalty and feel that they're being invested in. So um, there's a direct correlation, I think, between giving people an opportunity to discover different parts of your business and their motivation to stay. And from a process standpoint, um, do do your recruiters, are, are, are your recruiters involved in the gig? Uh, processing in any way, like, you know, providing short lists to hire managers or, no, the, the process is hire manager driven? No, it's very much hiring manager driven. Um, there's a portal, they would post it. Um, and yeah, the, the communication and any conversations happen directly between the business and, and the individuals. Thank you. I'm handing back to Danielle now. Thank you, Rupesh. <laughs> Thanks for jumping in. The the mic gets transferred very quickly there. You know, it's interesting. And I had somebody ask a a private question to to me that was almost around this um, internal to external hiring ratio, um, you know, discussion and how focused organizations are on that. Uh, Danielle uh, and Rupesh, I'm not going to make you. (laughs) But uh, I'd love to hear, do you you have an opinion in terms of, you know, kind of that internal external hiring ratio? Is there a... um, a way that you look at it and ask questions about that, that uh, gives you some good insight? Um, yes. So, so I think the answer is very dependent on where you are in your company life cycle. Um, we love internal transfers. You know, that is, that is the best thing a company can have is a robust internal transfer market. Uh, for many, many reasons. However, if you are growing your company, you have to hire, you have to bring in externals. And so it's always a balance around how much do we uh, invest in the internal marketplace and internal movement 
and and should recruiting be involved in it versus having our recruiters focus on externals if we're building the company. I think somewhere between, and I'm saying for tech companies, it may be very different elsewhere, but probably between 30 and 40% internal movement is, is pretty healthy. Um, when I was at, at Uber and Rupesh, you can definitely correct me, uh, we found that people are 2x long, um, 2x times, uh, they stay 2x times longer with the company if they've made one move and then it goes up significantly and then it drops off at five moves. But you get really, there's really good return to value in internal movement and internal mobility. I love that headline, uh, and I, it's worth repeating. But before I do that, I, I want to just say, hey, I posted a chat in there, and I'd love to just have kind of rapid fire from the group. Just share, do you measure internal-external hiring ratio? And if so, you know, if you can give us an approximate, I'd love to just see the mix of how people are doing that because we see from our board discussions a big variance of what healthy looks like. Right. Uh, uh, on the ratio. Some say it's 20%. Some say it's 75% is our target. And I would love to hear what other folks are doing on that. But what you said, when most organizations are thinking about attrition as a big challenge right now, people leaving for grass is greener and other, you know, higher dollar salaries and other things that you're finding a 2x increase in stay Attention. if they have one move. Yeah. Right? And yeah. then it goes up until about the fifth move, then it, it doesn't make a difference really anymore. Yeah. yeah right. and, and it's such a delicate, nuanced balance, right? Based on your organization and the culture and all of those things. I remember we had a super lively conversation with the board about there being such a thing as too much internal movement. Right, and and what the impact is on what's happening with innovation and, and all of those things. So it's it's a fascinating proposition for sure. What is the sweet spot for your unique DNA in your organization? Yeah, I'm I'm a fan. I'm a fan of internal movement. Um, I'm a huge fan of that because you know if you don't make it easy for people to move internally, then they go externally, right? Oh, and yeah. then you have a brain drain. So um, I think it's it's important for us to, to make it easy and to encourage it. Uh, I just think it's hard, practically it's really hard on the recruiting teams if you're also trying to build a company and you're doing both internal and, and external. Um, but I think as a policy and a practice, internal movement is very healthy. Marriott. Mariana's comment about internal candidates who've applied for other roles in the organization and they're not ultimately selected, more likely to leave the organization. And I know we've talked about that a, a lot over the years about how important it is to keep that communication circle going with that person and almost case managing them and making them aware of other opportunities that are coming along after that. Are you doing that at Google? Is that operationalized or is how, how are you handling that? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Um, I, I will say what we what we do well is we do provide feedback when somebody internally uh, is not 
going to be considered, we've decided to go with a different candidate. So we are good at providing feedback so that they know what they what they can work on or what they didn't have or needed a little more of or, you know, sort of why we made a different selection. But I haven't seen us do anything more formal, but it doesn't mean we don't. I just don't know yet. I'm looking at all of these comments. Thank you everyone for contributing. So Accenture's internal fulfillment is 30 to 40% and the focus is to augment building borrowing. Mm -hmm. Build, borrow, or buy. So, Go ahead, I was going to say, so in the, in the last few minutes that we have, I, I know, Danielle, we had asked you if you would be willing to share maybe your biggest win, the, the initiative that you're most proud of, at least your most recent one um, in your career. Um, I was thinking about that. You know, I, I do love the, the work that we, we did and, and folks like Tony and um, Catherine and Hannah, you know, people that have continued this work with the Talent Acquisition Academy, um, that's really special and near and dear to my heart. But, but as I am moving towards the end of my career and I think about what, what would I look back at and feel really proud about, um, I hope that I've been able to help the industry, help people in the industry uh, elevate the work that we do and the importance of the work that we do. Um, I look at people that I've worked with and then the leadership roles that, that they're in now, and I hope I played a little bit of a part in getting them there. So I'd say that's probably what I want to be the most proud of when I eventually retire. So when you then look to the forward kind of piece of this, what's what are some of the big priorities on your agenda for uh, you know the next year to you know three? Um, so P zero is building the cloud business. We have a lot of work to do, and it's fun. It's exciting. You know we're insurgents in this business, not incumbents, and the two incumbents are big and mighty and competitive and fast moving. So it's a, it's a, just a really exciting build, um, build and, and develop our, our own team. Um, but I will dive in even more to contributing to organizations where we are helping grow and develop new recruiting talent and elevating again, our community and the work that we do. Um, I will say the it wasn't it wasn't by accident that I selected the song that I selected you know the the Imagine Dragons song which by the way my kids think it's so lame that I like Imagine Dragons but I do <laughs> um, and and the song that I picked you know we are the warriors that built this town that's truly that's what I believe we do as a as a talent and talent acquisition function. And that's what I'll be focused on in the next few years. Yeah, I, I, I tongue in cheek it, but I, I, I had a feeling that that was where your head was at uh, in terms of picking the song. I, I have talked to many leaders over the last several months who have lost, um, 
you know, two to five recruiters and you can almost feel the air come out of them in terms of mm -hmm. their warriors are gone. Yes. You know, and they, you know, step back and say, man, we have big business goals. We have, you know, put down, you know, kind of the gauntlet around, you know, new, uh, new revenue sources or whatever it may be. And ultimately the recruiter has such an impact uh, at the front end of that to actually, you know, make those things a reality that sometimes that's missing. Do you take much time when you are working with recruiters to show them the connection to the outcomes of business and how they're, yes. and yes. how do you do that? Um, we we have recruiting standups every every other week, um, and we have the team together and we talk about the our business results. But we very much talk, and and it's um, it's. I, it's not complex, but we talk about the business opportunity and the cloud business opportunity globally is multi-billion dollar opportunity. In fact, I was reading the other day, people think it's a might even be a multi-trillion dollar opportunity. Uh, and then we talk a little bit about competitors, but it's not for us so much about competitors as it is customers. And so we also talk about customers and what, what we do at Google Cloud that delights the customers that we have um, and builds the loyalty in Google Cloud. So yes, I want people to see that we're not just laying bricks, you know, we are building the cathedral. Yeah, I, I, I love where that uh, has kind of taken us full circle in this hour. You know, we have done some really interesting work on the new corporate currency and purpose uh, you know, and that connection to our roles is such a huge component of the EVP and where we're trying to pull people toward, you know, like you said, we're building cathedrals, uh, not laying bricks, you know, and when we see that connection, boy, with lots of, you know, powerful things happen and energy uh, begets energy, you know, as opposed to it feeling like, shoot, uh, I've got you know, more wrecks to fill, uh, yes. you know, which is a very different mindset in terms of success. So Lori, uh, any uh, parting words before we uh, you know, say thanks to Danielle? Only uh, Danielle, thank you so much for making the time to join us today. I know you're unbelievably busy. So thank you so much. And thank you for your willingness to be so open with everyone. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. And um, thanks for everybody that joined. I really enjoyed it and I hope it was it was valuable. Thank you for listening to this episode of I4CP's Next Practices Weekly podcast. I encourage you to join us live for these discussions each Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific time, so that you can ask questions of our guests and co-hosts and participate in the conversation. Just go to i4cp.com forward slash events to register. We hope you'll keep tuning in as I4CP brings you more great HR executives to discuss how high-performance organizations are leveraging best and next practices in HR. Uh, registration is open for our Next Practices Now conference in late March this year in Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, it's an annual tradition that we're super excited to be back to after two years of being virtual only. It is both in-person and virtual, so if you can't make it in Scottsdale, you do have that other option. And there'll be a lot more information coming on the speaker lineup very soon. 
Thank you, and we hope you have a great and productive week ahead.